You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. In the spirit of reconciliation, we are theatre and Theatrically Allowed acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Met a woman She had a mouth like yours She knew your life She knew your devils and your deeds And she said Go to him Stay with him if you can But be prepared to bleed Hello, theatre fans, one and all. Welcome back to the We Are Theatre podcast. And today we're switching it up a little bit. We've been musicals, plays, but we've never covered cabaret before. And I've got Queenie Van Der Zandt here from, uh, she is doing a show called Blue, the song of Songs of Joni Mitchell. Um, hi, Queenie. How are you going? Hi, Josh. I'm good. Thanks for having me on your show. I am so excited. Uh, I have never seen a cabaret and I've never covered cabaret before. So this is all what? new experiences. I know. I Where have you been? Under a rock, apparently. So this <laughs> is watching musicals. Yes. Honestly, that is probably it. But this is your chance to convince me that I've been missing out on a big chunk of live performance and um right, everybody else at home. So yep. this is this is the bar. Um so why don't you tell us about the show real quick, what it's about. Um and what we can look forward to. Well, it's as you said, it's called Blue, the songs of Joni Mitchell. So it's, you know, it's about Joni Mitchell, um, the, the incredible singer, songwriter, um, and an and artist. Um, it, uh, the show is, uh, it's, it's five years old. It was, I wrote it five years ago. Um, and I'd always want, I've always been a huge fan of Joni Mitchell, always wanted to write a show about her. But could never kind of, I mean, she's an incredible artist, you know, really extraordinary, um, you know, musician, extraordinary lyricist, uh, you know, a true, true artist. And so I was like, oh, I could never think of a, a clever enough way of presenting yeah. a show about her that, that was kind of up to her, kind of, you know, yeah. her, her incredible artistry. So I just always just thought, oh, I don't know how to write it, so I didn't write it. So that took me 37 years before I came up with an idea. Um, <laughs> and finally I was, um, I had a daughter myself quite late in life at 47 and I was breastfeeding her on the on the couch when she was about three months old and listening to Joni Mitchell's Blue Album, which I often did when I feel a bit sad and want a pity party, you know, so I was having <laughs> a pity party of one and just sort of like, you know, sitting there had a bit of the baby blues and 
I heard this song called Little Green, which she records on the album, and I remembered because I've read a lot about Joni, obviously, over the years, that she wrote that song about giving up her own daughter for adoption and how she hadn't wanted to do that. It wasn't something that she'd planned to do. She'd really wanted to keep her, but she hadn't been able to to do that and um, wasn't in a position financially and, you know, in her life to be able to do that. And I, you know, having this baby in my arms that I just loved so much, I just started weeping at the thought of what that would do to you, I just I'd never get over that if I had to give her up now at three months old. Like it's just, yeah. and I knew I thought, how did she? It suddenly struck me. I thought, three months old. How did that even happen? And so the moment I put my daughter down for a nap, I just got on the internet and started, you know, investigating that story. And the story is just, you know, really, really sad and quite extra and quite extraordinary in itself. And um, and that was yeah. I just started to then write the show from that perspective of of, of how that you know Joni has always said that that single act of giving up her daughter made her melancholy for the rest of her life and fed into every lyric she wrote from then on like it was just and I just thought uh, yeah so I basically wrote a love letter really from one melancholy mother to another that's how yeah. it kind of ended up being so the show is very it's beautifully melancholy in the way that melancholy isn't sad it's kind of it's just this kind of it's almost a, a kind of a yummy kind of sort of yeah, it's a yummy kind of malaise, or or a, you know, it's there's something yummy about melancholy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not it's not sadness. It's it's yeah, you can sit in it, you know, and it and it and it opens and reveals a whole lot of your heart and the world when you're in that state. And and um, so it's quite a melancholy, gentle show. And I uh, and you know the audience come in and there's you know it's the whole set is like an artist studio it's all got these you know hippie rugs yeah, and cool. hundreds of candles led candles and we burn incense in the theater beforehand so it smells like the beautiful 70s you know nag champa everywhere and so it's a quite an immersive kind of experience in that way and then we just basically sing the songs and tell some stories about um about Joni's life and and really just about the songs that go with the with different you know with different uh, the stories of, that go with different songs to open up those her beautiful lyrics you know that she has in her music and um yeah and so yeah it's a really lovely show it's been it's won a lot of awards been nominated for the Helpman award and and Sydney Theatre award a lot of big awards and and um and I've been doing it for 5 years with a little gap there in covid but you know <laughs> um so we love it yeah yeah amazing um it, it's funny cuz like my generation wouldn't know Joni as Joni because the only song that we really would know of hers is the cover of Big Yellow Taxi by Counting Crows. Yeah, um, that's like right. when I look through her discography, I that would be the only song that I could actually yeah point to and be like, that's Joni Mitchell's song. Yeah. Knowing yeah. that because of the so um yeah I'm actually really excited to get in and hear you do this well this is the thing is it's it's not just a show for Joni Mitchell fans people say to me all the time you know when they come they say oh I had no idea how beautiful her music was you know yeah. and Big Yellow Taxi interestingly is the least Joni like song out of everything that she does <laughs> it's really like that song is really um yeah it's just it's a real anomaly you know in her music yeah. um and a lot of um, your generation actually know Joni, or actually probably not so much your generation, probably a generation older than you, but but people in their sort of like 30s and um, and 40s uh, know her and come along to the show because they know her from the, this beautiful scene in Love Actually where Emma Thompson opens a, 
uh, a, a, she's seen her husband um, buying a necklace in a shop and she thinks, oh, God, that's what I'm getting for Christmas. I won't spoil it. And then it comes to Christmas time and she opens this what looks like a square box and she opens it and it's Joni Mitchell's Blue Album. And she puts it on the record, you know, she puts it on and it, and it plays both sides now, one of her very, other very beautiful, famous songs. Um, and um, she walks into the bedroom and just starts to weep because she realises her husband's having an affair in that moment, yeah. you know, and it's such a beautiful, beautiful scene. And, um, yeah, a whole new generation of people then went out and bought Blue because they're like, oh, what's that song? And, yeah, so Blue, if you don't know her music, Blue is the album to start with because it's just <laughs> extraordinary. Yeah. Perfect. There we go. We've got a starting point. Yeah. Um, let's talk creative side of actually putting a cabaret together. How, obviously, you've got your starting point of having that triggering moment of connecting with the song. How do you then take your research and create a story and figure out where your songs are going to sit throughout the show? Well, it's quite different depending on how you do it like um you know i teach cabaret as well because i've been doing cabaret since i was 17 it's the very first thing i ever did leaving school uh my first professional gig was a cabaret show um so i've been doing it for such a long time so i also teach it um through my um through my company um amta the the australian musical theater academy and um excuse me <laughs> and you know it's interesting because one of the great wonderful things about cabaret is it's absolutely boundaryless you know there is no convention in cabaret which is yeah. just makes it so exciting it can be absolutely anything and in fact so much so that the the um the dictionary doesn't even define cabaret by what it is it defines it by where it is it says a show usually done in a in a in a space where people sit down and drink and eat you know like it's, it doesn't even I can't yeah. even define it in the dictionary so which is quite interesting so really um how you put a cabaret together is like how long is a piece of string it's really depends on the particular show so over the years say for example um one of the shows i wrote years ago um which was called um cabaret in 12 easy steps I had to write a show for the Queensland Cabaret Festival and at the same time I was teaching students at the VCA um, how to write cabaret and working on their cabaret shows and I was working with like 25 students on their shows and I was thinking, God, I've got like, every good idea is going into their show, you know. <laughs> oh, how am I going to write my own show? I was like, oh, you know, this is too hard. And so I end up going, you know what, that's what I should write about. I should write about how to write a cabaret in 12 easy steps and so i because you know there are some conventions that you see often like you know a strong opening song you know yeah. um a funny song you know you always have to have a funny song with audience participation you know um you don't always have to have this but if you see a lot of cabaret you often see certain things that are included so yeah. that's how i wrote that i literally came up with 12 ideas 12 how you, you know a structure of cabaret and then i filled it in with anecdotes and songs and whatever um with Joni, it was really different. I started by just looking at this idea of her and her daughter and that story and started with that story and then found out about how she met her daughter again and later in life and how they reunited. And I thought, right, that's the bookend. You know, that's yeah. the beginning, that's the end. It's actually a sort of, a, it's kind of a her life in between these two major points, you know. Yeah. Um, and then went through, I literally went with my daughter, went walking every day and listened. I've got every single album Joni ever wrote and literally just listened to all of her songs and went ah that's a great storytelling song ah that's a great storytelling song 
wow, that 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 talks about her when she's young. Oh, that story, you know, that song's about heartbreak when she broke up. Because you know, I knew her life, I would just then I just picked songs that kind of helped tell the story of her life you know yeah um and so i you know there were heaps of songs that i love of hers that i couldn't include because i was like oh you know because she's got about twenty five thousand songs about love so i was like i can't have all of those and so yeah so it's it really depends on the show i suppose i love that um with doing your research for this show like being a fan of journeys and as you said knowing certain things about her life how far did you have to research to like get all the knowledge you needed or was it all kind of front of mind straight away well um i wrote it with uh, i wrote the show with um, a wonderful uh, musical director called max lambert who is very well known to i'm sure your listeners for the many musicals he has musically directed and written himself like he wrote a wonderful musical called miracle city an australian musical amongst a whole bunch of others that he's written um and uh, so, so he came with me because he's he was also originally in the band Ice House with Ivor Davies. So he was a very famous band in the eighties. So he's got that lovely combination of you know having a rock sensibility, but with with a storytelling bent, you know. Yeah. And so I thought that's really useful for her. Not that she's a you know rock you know necessarily rock um, perform, but just being a popular performer, you know, a pop star, pop star, I suppose. Um, and so. Um, we um i've forgotten the question oh my god i was going um research and oh, research. Like how how deep did you have to go <laughs> that's right so he read some books um and i read some books and we didn't like i didn't read it cover to cover but we skimmed you know um and we both watched a number of really great videos about her like that have been yep. made some docos about her um so yeah we did do a fair bit of research on her i mean i suppose if you're writing a sort of a, a um a show that's quite uh, that, that that you you want to kind of um explore someone's you know someone's life and music you do have to kind of know quite a bit about it yeah but you know there were lots of periods that we skipped over because for example we don't really look at her besides having one of her beautiful paintings on well a, a copy of one of her beautiful paintings on set and having having the set look like it's like an artist studio with paintbrushes and things like that we don't actually look at any part of her life as an artist as a painter yeah. for example so anything that really had to do with that we just didn't go there you know sure. um and there are yeah we don't we don't investigate her music in a kind of cerebral musical way like go then she went through the jazz period then she went through because she did go through all these different periods so yeah. because of that we didn't really have to read about that stuff you know because yeah. it was a much more personal cabaret so so um yeah and some cabarets you don't have to do any research at all like it's just like you know it just depends it on who, who what you're doing yeah yeah amazing um for someone like myself who has never stepped foot in a theater with a cabaret show going on what as someone that's been around that side of the sector for ages what um what could someone look forward to or be excited about with a new experience of a cabaret or this show in particular, what do you think someone can look forward to coming through and experiencing this? Um, unlike musical theatre, the way that they really differ, the two forms, is there's in cabaret there's usually no fourth wall, you know. So um, and it's my favourite part of cabaret. That is actually my favourite part because I love people. I'm absolutely insanely curious about people and uh, just love to talk to people and get to know them and you know um and understand how they work and how their brains work and so 
I, I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I love musical theatre for its own things, but if I had to choose between the two, it probably would be cabaret because I love the instant connection with your audience and, um, you know, you don't get that as much in theatre, although you get it obviously much more in theatre and 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 um, musicals than you do, say, in TV or film. Yep. But, um, but cabaret, there's just no, out of all the art forms, cabaret is the most immediately connected to to another human and that's actually my that's the bit i love you know the most because you can see the same as when you do comedy you know um you can absolutely see the effect on them immediately and you can yeah. see how it lands and what it does and you can talk to them afterwards and you can you can um often talk to them during the show you know it's part of they are part of the experience it's a very immediate experience yeah. Um, yeah so I think that's one of the things that people can really expect when they come to see a cabaret show is just feeling very much a part of it you know like that they are seen yeah and getting to do it in like some really cool intimate venues as well like chapel off chapel that you're going into in Melbourne and Hayes at Sydney like yeah you literally you're sitting on top of the show essentially and yeah that's right physically so close. As well. that's exactly right they're so close to it so you can really that and and the thing is with cabaret it's a little bit cabaret and comedy probably have a lot in common in that sense like stand-up comedy in that the person and the people that are presenting it they can't hide you know you have yeah. to be very comfortable with yourself in front of an audience and in, and, and and open about yourself even if you're not talking like this show has got nothing to do with me i'm not talking about myself necessarily well i talk a couple of things about how i came to know joni's music and things like that but but um you you can't be awkward you know it yeah. you can't be you have to feel very comfortable being vulnerable and exposed and and up for anything you know that's that's and so that's kind of for me i love that i also am a comedian because that i'm not ever scared on stage like if someone yeah. yells something out in the middle i'm i not that I love that, in the, not that I really invite that in this show because it's, so, it's not a comedy show, you know. Yeah. But if people say things or they have experiences with the music, which they sometimes do, yeah. I, I'm so happy to in, engage with that, you know, because yeah. I, I, I go, that's part of the experience. I would never then go, oh, my God, someone's speaking in the bit that they shouldn't be speaking in. It's like, you know, <laughs> it's not like that at all where, you know, you, you just go, oh, what's what, this is something new. What's happened? Where's yeah. that going to go? You know, it's exciting. Yeah. Was that inquisitiveness something you had as a kid as well coming into cabaret? Excuse me. No, you're right. Oh, oh. Um, yeah, I think I think I've always been very inquisitive. I'm very um, I'm a massive empath, so I'm very um, I've, I've always feel very connected to people and to their experiences, and you know, feel like I can really understand people and. What they're going through and you know yeah so that's always been a very you know very big emotions and all those sorts of things so that's very handy i think you know being a cabaret artist i feel like i've that's always been helpful that curiosity and you know yeah from my young yeah. age yeah was when you started performing um was cabaret always your focus or did you want to do no. something else no when i started performing i actually i mean i started as a young child my mum sort of i think i've always been a storyteller that's what i sort of really relate to the most is that i you know from a very young age in fact the very first thing i ever did was was write so i wrote my first play when i was in grade two um 
and put it on at school in my class and stuff like that. It was yeah. a little puppet show. Um, and from there, I was always telling stories apparently at the end of the night. My mum said I used to, my dad, this is so gross, used to put his feet up on the table, the dinner table when he finished, you know, and I would make up stories with his toes. And my mum saw that and just thought, wow, she really loves, you know, she loves to tell stories. I used to write poetry for competitions in the Canberra Times and the paper and stuff. So she said one day she saw something in the paper about this teacher who had led all these people to success at this, you know, Canberra, Stedford. Um, and she said, is that something you'd like to do? Go and do some, like, go and do, you know, performing and acting? And I said, oh, yeah, I'd love it. So that's how I started doing speech and drama. And so I did all those kind of Stedfords and exams yeah. and things when I was young. So I, my first love has always been acting and always been, but it's always been things like in the sense that, you know, it's also poetry and reading and, like, it, it, you know, reading aloud and, and kind of, yeah, prose and all that sort of stuff. It's that has always been my first love. So, and that's all about telling stories. So, when I started singing, I didn't really ever have any singing lessons or anything. I just started singing as an extension of that, really, um, and then connected to again songs that told stories. So, I've never in my life been a singer per se, like a band singer at gigs or yeah. like that's just I don't I don't like doing stuff like that. I find it really awkward and weird. It's like oh god, you know, just just stand in the background and just sing. I think, Ugh. but yeah, it has to be about telling a story for me, you know, singing. Um, and so, yeah, so I think, uh, but when I got to high school, I, I actually chose the school that I went to. I chose it because it did great musicals my last yeah. few years at school. And so musicals were actually my first real, that was the thing I really loved doing and wanted to do. But cabaret just felt like a similar sort of thing. And there was no musicals in Canberra, so except for amateur musicals. So cabaret was the only way you could make money as an artist. So I'd sort of started doing cabaret initially and then, yeah, really loved that and have always had that as a side hustle really to being yeah. in shows and, and doing whatever else, yeah. I mean that that helps that you can fall back on that in between contracts if you were like doing bigger shows or like yeah slide so the, into that as well. That's right. The first ten years of my life in my twenties really was about doing musicals. I loved musical theatre and really wanted to just you know be in musicals all the time. Yeah. And um, but of course you know you can't be in musicals all the time in this country. <laughs> so whenever I wasn't performing, that's exactly right. I would just go, oh, okay, well I'll write another show and put it on. You know that was my yeah. fallback. You know, yeah. And, and it's sort of always, I have to say, Cabaret has always really been that for me. It's never been my, like there are people like, you know, Dolly Diamond and Meow Meow, where that's really their first thing, that, that's really their pro predominant thing that they do. It's, it, for me, it actually hasn't always been, it has always been something I do along with a lot of other things, you know. Um, but I ended up doing lots more of it just because of the way, I don't know, just because of, you know, the way that life goes and, yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah. I love that. To wrap us up, um, you've said you've taken this show on the road for five years. Um, you would have had some pretty cool moments throughout those five years. What are some standout memories that you have from being able to perform this show to mm -hmm. countless people? I think the very first performance of it, um, we I mean, I was sick as a dog. It was the first time I'd really left my daughter and it was six months after she was born and I flew to... Um, I flew to the Queensland Theatre, uh, to the Queensland Cabaret Festival, um, yeah. which I'd written the show for. And 
I was so ill uh, and I could barely speak. I was like, I had lost my voice and I thought, oh my God. And I had to take steroids and I was in the airport pumping, you know, pumping my breast milk out, crying my eyes out in the toilet thinking, what am I doing? Why did I do this? I don't even, this isn't fun. Like it was horrendous. <laughs> you know, I had to leave at like 6 a.m. to get there at 10 to rehearse with the band for the first time ever we rehearsed from 10 till 1, had a little break. Then we did a tech all afternoon and then we did the show. It was insane, like insane. Anyway, but it was wonderful and, and it was sold out. It sold out like weeks before it even opened to in this 550-seat theatre at the Powerhouse in Brisbane and um, they just loved it. It got a massive standing ovation and I just thought, oh, my God, it's a great show and I was like so happy with it. Um, that was one really great memory and another was doing it over in America. Um, a friend of mine programmed it. He was a, pr a programmer at the Stanford, uh, at this cabaret festival they had at Stanford University and so yeah. he programmed it there and I... I went over to America. Um, that was, you know, pre-COVID, and uh, and did it there. That was so exciting, just to be, you know, in this other country for a week doing my show was amazing. Um, and then a bad memory was like just pre-COVID. We we after that on the on the strength of that, we then got a three-week tour in America up, and um, we were literally four days away from. I was packing my bag when COVID hit. And uh, so it was like a Friday when COVID hit, you know, the 13th of May, March, or I think it was. And yeah, we were due the next Monday or Tuesday. We were, I was getting on the plane. It was like, oh, that was, I was over there just at the end of February. So oh, I remember like it just kind of starting as I was leaving. Oh, like, it was awful, wasn't it? Yeah. I literally flew from New York to LA and like New York, everyone was chill about it, got to LA and everyone was in masks. And I was like, yeah. What's happened in the last six hours? What have I missed? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, my, my producer was flying from Australia to New York. Yeah. So he was got, like on the plane for like however many, to, you know, a day a day or whatever. And um, we started, then we have associate producer in Sydney and her and I started talking and I was like, shit, I think this is, I don't know if we can go. And it was like, oh, and I was like, no, we have to go. We have to go. We've planned it for two years. It's taken us two years to get this up. And, you know, within a matter of hours, like four hours, five hours, we were leaving him messages saying, look, you know, it's not looking good, Neil, da da da, da you know, and then finally we're going to have to cancel it, Neil. This is like like all the venues have started oh. ringing up saying they're cancelling it, you know, we've lost too many venues, it's like not even feasible. And he responded to the very first message when he got off the plane, he was catching up and so he, the first <laughs> message played and he rang us straight back or he texted us straight back saying, what are you talking about cancelling? Don't be ridiculous. Like, da, da, da. And, then, <laughs> and then suddenly, like, you know, he obviously got through the message and, got, and actually started looking around and went, yeah. Oh, while I was in the plane, this actually became a worldwide massive problem. And yeah, yeah so oh, crazy. Anyway, wow. yeah. Good fun. But anyway, we're doing it at Chapel of Chapel uh, yep. in, in July and at the Hayes in July. So um, I don't know the exact dates. So. Uh, I've got them in front of me. So uh, Chapel of Chapel is the 12th to the 17th of July, and then Hayes is the 19th to the 24th. So come anyone on, anyone listening. Yes. Get to those websites. Hayes have it up on theirs. I'm sure Chapel and Chapel have it up on theirs. Get your tickets. Make sure you see this show. It's going to be something you're not going to want to miss. Um, I will be there, I believe, on one of the nights. I'm not 100% yes. sure yet, but I'll be there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but thank you so much for joining us, Quinny. I appreciate it. No worries. It's been lovely. Thank you for having us.
My pleasure. And guys, we will be back next week with a brand new episode of the We Are Theatre Podcast. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.